0: Hey, good morning, Grace Hill. How are you? Good to see all of you. Uh, My name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here. And so if I haven't met you yet, I would love to be able to do so. Afterwards, excited to have lunch with those of you who are going to be at the table today. And um, as Mel said, we're going to be right back here for that class. So I'm excited to get lunch with you, spend some time with you over the next uh, three weeks. And if you haven't done the table before, if you're new, we've been coming here forever and you haven't done it. Um, I I would really encourage you to sign up for one. If you want to jump into today's, you can. Uh, We may not have lunch for you, but you can jump in. We'll get lunch for you next week. Uh, Or again, as Mel said, it's going to start in a few weeks. So another one will start probably in September. So we will uh, look forward to having lunch with you then as well. Hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. So Exodus, the second book in the Bible, and uh, chapter 20. We'll read that in a few moments so you have some time to go find it. But as you know, this summer we've been in a sermon series called For Your Joy, and this is a sermon series on the Ten Commandments out of Exodus chapter 20. And the reason why we're calling this series For Your Joy is because we believe that all of God's commands are for our joy, That that God is the one who created us. He's the one who created our bodies and our souls in this world, and he knows what is best for us. And so he has lovingly given us commands and a way to live that he knows will allow us to flourish. And so we've been wanting to study these commandments with that lens on our eyes of, okay, God, how are these things for my joy? And so we've gone through commandments one to three together. So these first three commandments that we've already studied have really been all about our view of God. What, what do we believe about God and who God is and the kind of role that God plays in our life? And some of the questions that we've been asking through the first three commandments is, do I trust God to play God, to be God in my life, or do I look to other things to be God? Uh, do I want to carve out a different God for myself, who's kind of molded into my image and molded into the ways that I want God to, to be and the things that I want God to say? Or we've even asked the question, do I actually use God for my own purposes? And so these have been the first three commandments as we've gone through them, asking ourselves, what do I believe about God? And so if you've missed those, I encourage you to go to our website, podcast, YouTube channel, all of those, and get caught up on those first three commandments. But this morning, we're going to be in the fourth commandment, and what you'll notice in the fourth commandment is a pivot. And so we're going to be pivoting to more practical commands, more kind of everyday life commands, That God gives us. See, the first three commandments were all about, am I good with God being God? Am I good with the God that is presented in the scriptures? Am I good with that? Well, commandments four through 10 are going to be more about, am I good being human? Commandments one to three, am I good with God being God? And commandments four to 10, am I good being a human? Am I good being a created person? An image bearer of God. Am I good being someone who's under the care and direction and authority of God? Right? So commandments one to three, what's my view of God? But commandments four to 10, am I good being someone who is under the authority and care of this God? Or would I rather not be under the care of that God? That's the question we're going to really be asking through the last of these commandments. And that is the question that plunged all of humanity into the fall, into sin at the garden, isn't it? If you remember in Genesis chapter 3, you have Adam and Eve. They are in the Garden of Eden. Everything is perfect. It is paradise, no sin whatsoever. And they are under the care of God. They are created beings. All right, God is creator. They are created right, so they're under God's authority, and that's exactly what the serpent asked Eve that one day. It was, are you good with that? Like, are you good being human? Are you good being a created being of God, being under God? Because Eve, if you break what God asked you not to do, remember the only command they got was, don't eat that tree over there. And the serpent said, Eve, if you do that, here's what's going to happen. You'll actually be equal with God. And Genesis 3 teaches us that that became a delight to her eyes. That sounded good to her. Wait, I don't have to be human under the authority of God. I can be equal with God. And so obviously she breaks God's command that was given to her For her joy. And so, the very thing that we're going to be challenged with in these last commandments, commandments four through 10, is Am I good being human? Am I good being created? Am I being under authority? Am I being in this place of submission to God, knowing that He's good and He's after my joy as my Creator? And so, let's go read the fourth commandment together Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to read uh, verses 8 to 11. And this is the fourth commandment. It says this, "'Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, "'but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. "'On it you shall not do any work, "'you or your son or your daughter,' your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right, so I told you, we're gonna pivot over to more practical commands. So here in the fourth commandment, we have the command to keep the Sabbath day. All right. So what was the Sabbath day? The Sabbath day was a day off. God gave you a day off. All right. I was joking with someone in the lobby earlier today. I was like, it's the easiest commandment to keep. Just don't do anything for a day. Right. All right. We'll talk more about it. But that is what the Sabbath day is. God said, hey, on the seventh day, take the day off 24 hours and do not work And the reason that God says this is because this is a rhythm that he built into creation. So he as creator, remember, we're created, we're human, we're not God. He's God, he created everything, and he decided to build into the code of the universe, into us, into our bodies, into the rhythm of all creation. He decided to build in the need to rest once a week. This is a rhythm that your creator designed and built and inputted into you, whether you like it or not, because that was his decision. Now, i got to stop for a second, and i got to say this before we dig more into this, and that is this. <laughs> Today, i, I got to fully confess to you, I am talking the talk, but I am not walking the walk. All right, Sabbath for me and my family is not something that we have consistently followed. It's not something that we have consistently built into our lives. And so me studying this this week has been a challenge to me. It's very, very much so. I'm preaching this sermon to myself and to my family as I am to to all of you as we look into the scriptures and ask God, "Why, why for my joy... Why have you built this into the rhythm of creation? And why have you told us to keep this Sabbath day as one of your commands? But if we think about this, keeping the Sabbath day, it's part of being human. This is part of being human. God created you with limitations. As much as a lot of us, including myself and my personality, I don't like to admit those limitations, but he gave us limitations. He gave us weakness, like we are finite beings. We're not, we don't have unlimited strength and the goal is not for us to have unlimited strength, right? Maturity is not defined by how much the strength to weakness ratio you have because God built us as humans who are finite. Like, think about it for a second. You will sleep for 33% of your life. That means if you live to 100, you will will be shut down, eyes closed, unconscious, unaware, accomplishing nothing for 33 years of your life, right? That's how God built us. He doesn't need sleep right? He watches over creation. He sustains the universe while we're shut down with our bodies being rejuvenated, right? He built us this way. So physically speaking, your body has been designed to need rest. Yes, that includes sleep, but it also does include taking a day off. 24 hours to rest from your physical work, because that is how God designed you, and that is for your joy, right? Inherent to your relationship with God, all right, is the fact that he's creator, he has unlimited strength, we're created, and we are dependent upon him. And so God says, work six days, then take 24 hours off, And God is basically saying, in those 24 hours, I want you to trust me that I'm going to care for you, I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to keep the universe running. When you take that day off, when you shut down from your physical work for a day, it's an act of trusting God as creator and us realizing that we are human and we need God. All right, let me give you an example from the scripture. So if, you, if you're in your Bible, take a, take a left a few pages to Exodus chapter 16. All right, Exodus chapter 16. So in Exodus 16, uh, the people of God, Israel, they had already left Egypt, but they're on their way to Mount Sinai where they are in Exodus 20, and they camp at Mount Sinai for a while while God gives them the law. Well, in Exodus 16, they're on their way. So they're wandering around in the wilderness. And this is when God really introduces the idea of Sabbath to his people, isn't here in Exodus 16. Because what God does is he's actually, every single day, he's providing food for his people through manna that's falling and through quail, right? So he's providing food to his people every single day. So here's what happens in Exodus 16 before we read a few verses. Is God tells his people, here's what I want you to do every single day, I want you to go out and collect food for yourself, but I only want you to collect enough food for one day. Like the the food that falls from heaven has a one day shelf life, all right? If you collect extra, it will spoil the next day. So collect enough food for one day. And of course, some of the Israelites went out and hoarded a bunch and it all spoiled. And God's like, hey, I want you to trust me every day to provide for you. Every day, I want it to be an act of trust that the man is gonna come, and we can go get our food for the day. But then he says this, but I want you to rest the seventh day. I don't want you to have to go out and get food on the seventh day. So here's what we're gonna do. On the sixth day, go out and collect two days worth of food. The manna that falls on the sixth day will have a two-day shelf life on it, okay? So collect two days worth of food on the sixth day, rest on the seventh, and then he says, listen, do not go out on the seventh day all right? There's going to be no manna out there for you, all right? Nothing will be out there on the seventh day. Trust me, your food's coming. Rest on the seventh day, right? So look at this, Exodus chapter 16. Let's read verses 27 to 30. It says, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. God had already said, hey, guys, that's what's going to happen, Right? And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the whole point that I want you to see here is that this idea of Sabbath is an exercise in trusting that God will provide. It's an exercise in trusting that God's way is better. Even though I want to anxiously work to make sure that I meet all my needs or the needs of others, it's still an exercise of stopping and trusting that God will provide for us. But here's the thing. As we study this concept in Scripture, God doesn't just want to provide rest for our physical finite bodies by saying, hey, please take a day off, 24 hours, take a day off, where you rest from your physical work once a week. He doesn't just want to provide rest for our physical bodies God also wants to provide rest for our hearts and our souls as well. In the same way that God wants us to trust in him that he will provide for our physical needs while we rest by resting from our physical work, God also calls us to rest from our spiritual work. Let me say that again. In the same way that God calls us to physically rest from our physical work and to trust that he will provide, God also calls us to rest from our spiritual work and trust that he will spiritually provide for us. So let's go back to the garden in Genesis chapter three. What happens? So Eve sins against God because she doesn't want to be human. She wants to be God. So Adam and Eve, they, they've sinned. And what happens is God banishes them from the garden. And he says, you can never come back. And actually, if you read through the end of Genesis chapter three, he puts this angel, this warrior angel, a cherubim, to guard the garden, right? And it's this idea, it's this picture of, I'm going to make sure that you can do nothing to make your way back into the garden, Right? It's God's way of saying, there will be nothing you can do. You will not be able to keep enough laws. You will not be able to work hard enough to earn my favor back where I will say, you are now worthy back into my presence. That's what happened in the garden. And so when we look at that, one of the things that we realize is that our only hope to be made right with God, our only hope to be children of God our only hope to have eternal life is through God doing something to make it happen. Because God made it very clear, there would be nothing that you can do to make this happen, to be made right with me again. God had to do something. None of our work would suffice to be reconciled to God again. And so God did do something. And I want us to read about it. If you go into your Bibles to Romans chapter eight, one of the things that we read is that God did do something in order for us to be reconciled back. God did something in order for us to have his favor upon us again. And what that was, was it was to send his son, Jesus, to do all of the work necessary for us to be made right with him again. Romans chapter eight, verses three to four. It says this, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. God has done something that the law could not accomplish because the law was weakened by our own shortcomings, our own sin nature. This is another way of saying that God has accomplished something. He's done a work that we were not able to do that would be impossible for us to do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, meaning as a human, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law, all of the work that would be required for us to be made right with God, right? The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And, and so, so what this is saying is, that it was impossible for us to do any work that would be, make us right with God, and yet what God does is he sends his son Jesus to accomplish that work on our behalf. So this is what I love about the Gospels. If you remember during Holy Week, we studied the end of Luke, in Luke chapter 23. This is the crucifixion of Jesus, it's his death. They take him off the cross, They put him in the tomb, and these women who were very close to Jesus begin the process of embalming his body. But if you go read the end of Luke chapter 23, I think it's verse 53 or something like that. What it says is in the midst of that process of embalming Jesus' body as he was dead, they stopped because the Sabbath started. The Sabbath day came, so they stopped, and it says they rested from their work. And what's so symbolic about that What's so ironic about that is that as these women rested from embalming Jesus' body and they rested for an entire 24-hour period, Jesus was in the grave accomplishing all of the work necessary for us to be made right with God. He was in the grave defeating sin, defeating death, and fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law on our behalf. And so here's what Hebrews says about that, all right? Last passage, hang it right in your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter four. Verses nine and 10. So the writer of Hebrews reflects on this, and this is what he says. He says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. In the book of Hebrews, you're gonna see that phrase a lot, God's rest. And what the writer is referring to, it's not our rest from our physical work. He's talking about a rest from our spiritual work to be made right with God that God's rest is a trust in Jesus who accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished in order for us to be made right with God. And so in the same way that God wants us to have a Sabbath rest for our bodies once a week, God also wants us to have a Sabbath rest for our souls as we trust in Jesus, because he's the one who did everything that needs to happen for us to be made right with God and for us to be forgiven of all of our sins, right? Jesus has done all the work necessary. And, I, and it's at that moment that I, I think we need to stop. And I, I just need to say, I, you know, for those of us in the room, I think we need to ask ourselves this question, whether I refer to myself as a Christian or if I'm still trying to explore what I even believe, is to ask the question, have I seen my relationship with Jesus For me, when it comes to following Jesus, does the word rest come to mind? Is this a restful thing? Because what it means to follow Jesus is to rest in the reality that he has accomplished all of it. The work is finished. And it's just an act of trust on our behalf that he has done all that is necessary for us to be made right with God. And we need to ask ourselves, wait, do I view following Jesus as a whole lot of work that needs to be done to make God happy with me? Because that's not the Bible and that's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is a message of rest. And so here's what I want all of us to think about this morning as we think about sabbath rest for our bodies and sabbath rest for our souls is i think there's a correlation between our trust in god for us to be able to physically rest and our trust in god for our souls to rest i think there's a correlation between resting physically and resting in our hearts. In other words, if there could be a a check engine light that helps indicate for you, like a gauge that would come on, that might be an indication for you, hey, where is my soul when it comes to trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross? Where is my soul when it comes to the level through which I trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder, could it be that our attitude toward the physical Sabbath day would give us a good idea of how much I actually trust in all of the work that Christ has accomplished for me on the cross? Could there be a correlation here? Could it be that my attitude towards the Sabbath gives me an idea about my attitude towards the gospel. Now, here's not what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is if you don't keep the Sabbath, you don't trust in Jesus. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm wondering if our excuses and our opposition and our reasoning behind not taking a Sabbath day every, 20, every week for 24 hours, could that correlate to what I really feel about the gospel, and Jesus accomplishing work for me on my behalf to make me right with God. Let me give you an example. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is with his disciples. They're in a grain field. It's a Sabbath day, and the disciples start picking the grain and eating it. Well, this was in violation to Jewish law when it comes to the Sabbath, and so the Pharisees see this because they're always watching, and uh, they accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus says something really interesting in Mark chapter two. He says, hey, listen, the Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. And, And here's his point. He says, the Sabbath is for your joy. The Sabbath is for your rest. Like that's the purpose Behind it, Right. Man wasn't made for Sabbath because what they had done is created all these regulations around how to keep the Sabbath day, that it actually was more work to keep the Sabbath day than resting because of all the regulations around it. But it's interesting that correlated with their view of salvation. Because their view of salvation was there is a law that we must keep and we must keep perfectly in order for us to be right with God. And so therefore, their attitude towards the Sabbath was we must do this perfectly in order to follow God's command. I think there's a correlation between our attitude towards the Sabbath and potentially our attitude towards The gospel is how I approach the Sabbath. Is it possible that's how I might approach the gospel? So this is going to cause us this morning, I'm gonna kind of lead us a little bit this morning into plunging the depths of our heart a bit, maybe into some uncomfortable waters. So let me give you some examples of maybe how this correlation could work out. Think about maybe some reasons as to why I might not carve out 24 hours a week for my body to rest as God commanded me to, as he created my body to need. I'll start with myself. I was talking to my wife about it this week. I was like, why don't we do this? You know what I mean? Like I'm going to get up there and I'm going to tell them all to do it. So we got to be honest here. And so we were just kind of talking about it and we we're just trying to like peel back the layers and you know what I mean? Obviously there's logistical issues and there's this and that, well, the kids and we have to do this and gotta mow the lawn and got all this stuff. And as we kind of peeled back the layers, we go, wait, but really, but why? Like why? Why don't we carve out 24 hours to rest as God has commanded us to do? And what we kind of came up with is, I, I don't think we feel like we need it. I just don't think we value the Sabbath. It's not of high value to us. We don't feel this need for it. And so therefore, it's not a high priority for us to carve out this time to to keep the Sabbath. And so I know for me and my personality, it's hard for me to understand the limits of my body. It's hard for me to understand when I need rest. I'm one of those that can just kind of go, go, go. I can do 18 things at one time. And I can do it with enthusiasm. So for me, it's really hard to feel physically my need for rest. And then I stopped and asked myself the question that I'm going to force all of us to ask is this. Does that correlate potentially to my attitude towards the gospel? Now, I I grew up in a very strong Christian home. I don't know when I came to follow Jesus because I was discipled into following Jesus by my parents. And so for me, a close relationship with Jesus has always been a part of my life. And I rejoice in that testimony. I do. But it's caused me to wonder because I've always had that relationship and I really haven't experienced much of life apart from Christ, especially in my adult life. I wonder if I don't feel in my body viscerally as much my need for Jesus. I wonder if I don't really see the gospel. It's important because I preach it, but in my daily life, is it like food that I feast on? So then I asked the question, I wonder, Alan, I wonder if I began to actually take 24 hours a day, or sorry, 24 hours a week as a Sabbath to physically rest, would that become practice for me in trusting God, depending on him, and I would begin to also feel more my need and desire for Jesus as the one who accomplished all the work for me to be made right with God. Do you get what I'm saying? I wonder if me practicing Sabbath would actually train my heart into needing Jesus on a daily basis. Let me give you another example. Maybe another reason why we wouldn't keep the Sabbath is we would just feel guilty for keeping the Sabbath, right? Like there's people depending on me. There's stuff that I gotta get done. Right, So whether it's for your workplace, whether it's for your family, there's chores that got to get done, grocery runs, there's all this stuff. right? All these things that have to happen, There's there's too much to do on my list. So for me to actually stop for 24 hours would mean that I'm either letting people down or I'm just feeling personally like I'm not doing the things that I should be doing. Balls are going to drop if I take 24 hours. And so I can't take a Sabbath. And and, and is it potentially, is it possible that that attitude towards the Sabbath or fear towards the Sabbath correlates to your attitude deep down towards the gospel? that I don't know if I can actually trust that Jesus did everything. I feel like I should be doing something to garner God's favor. Is it possible that your everyday relationship with God is one of God? What can I do today to make you pleased with me? But that's not the gospel. The gospel is rest in Jesus. And that makes a lot of us really uncomfortable because we feel like we should be doing something to make God pleased with us. We feel like it's too good to be true, that that kind of grace is way too scandalous. So could it be that actually taking the Sabbath, trusting that God has you even if balls drop, God has you even if, you know, people at work don't like that you do that, God has you no matter what, carving that out, would that be practice for you? and trusting that Jesus has accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished for you to be made right with God and for you to truly begin to rest in Jesus. Maybe you don't take a Sabbath because you would feel worthless. You know, we live in a society that's like hustle, right? If you want, if you want to get rich, if you want to be significant, if you want things to go in your favor, you gotta hustle, you gotta hustle, you gotta out-hustle people right? It's, it's those who take the day off. It's those who, who actually stop. They're the weak ones who aren't going to accomplish much in life. Our culture is always saying that to us, especially if you're in the business world or if you're an entrepreneur or anywhere like that. I mean, all you're getting fed is go, 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 go. Outwork everybody and then you will win. And so there's a part of us that goes, God, I'll lose in the world if I take 24 hours a week off could that correlate over to your approach towards the gospel? God, I want to be the best Christian that I can be, right? So I'm not going to, you know what I mean? There's, there's so much that I could do, right? So I'm just going to hustle, 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 hustle in my Christian life. But wait, the Christian life is about God's rest. Could taking a Sabbath day train your mind and your heart into what the gospel is really about? Resting in the work that Christ has already accomplished for you. I mean, we we could try to think through all kinds of different examples of why we might not take a Sabbath day. And I'm just wondering, I don't think it's a perfect argument, but I'm wondering, does it correlate to how we feel about the gospel? Could it be a check engine light for me when it comes to if I truly trust in what Christ has accomplished for me? And so, as we've been doing with all of our sermons on the Ten Commandments, we've been ending our time with just three simple questions. Three simple questions that we can ask ourselves in the context of community that can help us understand, am I following this command in my life? And do I see this command as God's goodness to me and as something that is for my joy? Here are three questions that you can ask in community. Don't do this by yourself because you'll deceive yourself, all right? So find a good trusted friend, your community group wherever, go out to lunch, get some good food and ask these questions. Do it today, all right? Three questions that you can ask yourself. Number one, what is going on inside of me when it comes to the Sabbath day? Do I take a Sabbath day once a week? Yes or no? Why or why not? Like what's going on inside of me with the Sabbath day. I think in our culture, we find so many reasons why this is just not practical for us, right? And I even see theologians and scholars uh, take the Hebrews argument that Jesus is our Sabbath rest as the reason why we don't actually have to follow the fourth commandment in our physical bodies. And I don't agree with that. I think it's both, right? I, I think that God has commanded us to keep the Sabbath because he created our bodies and he loves us and he's after our joy. And he says, I designed you To take a break once a week. And so, what's going on inside of me when it comes to the Sabbath day? Second question you can ask after that, after you chop that up in community, is what does God's word say? to rehearse these truths of scripture. Be reminded of the fact that God has commanded you to this. Look at the times where Israel violated this and God got after them. Look at the times in, or go read Hebrews when it talks about being invited into God's rest and realize that God's inviting you into rest for your body and rest for your soul. So go rehearse the truths of scripture. And then finally, the third question you can ask yourself is what would it look like for me to begin practicing trusting in the gospel through taking a Sabbath day, right? How do these things correlate? What would it look like for me to practice trusting in the gospel through trusting in God to take care of me physically? I think that'd be a fascinating question to begin to ask with friends and family. What would that look like? How could these things be correlated in my life? And I believe that if we were to trust God with our bodies, trust God by taking that time off, but also use that time to reflect on how Christ has accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished for us to be saved, that we'll begin to trust in the gospel more fully with our lives, which will lead to joy. Three questions that I encourage you to ask with people. Respond to today's message into the scripture that we read by getting with some good friends and asking these questions. But I want to end our time this way. I'm going to invite the band. If you guys want to come on up, you can. I want to end our time by inviting all of us to come forward in one way or another, okay? And here's what I mean by that. Obviously, we have the communion table before us And communion is something that we do in the church on a regular basis as a way of being reminded of everything Jesus accomplished so that we could rest in him. The communion table is an invitation to rest. It's an invitation to be reminded that the body of Jesus was broken under the wrath of God so that you and I wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God. And that the blood of Jesus was shed for our righteousness, for us to be cleansed from our sin, and also so that we would be filled with the righteousness of Christ. It reminds us that Christ has accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished for us to be saved. And so this morning, if you're here, I just want to invite you to the communion table and I want you to take a cracker and take some juice and go back to your seat. And I want you to be reminded of what Christ has done for you. I want you to think through that and I want you to see this as an invitation to rest. But I also get the feeling that there might be some of you in here and maybe whether again, whether you, you've been calling yourself a Christian for a long time or you still don't know what you believe, the idea of following Jesus has never been correlated with the idea of rest before. And that maybe your walk with Jesus has felt like really hard work when what the Bible tells us is actually rest. And I just want to invite you to come forward and release that. I want you to come forward and, and maybe confess to God God, I I have always seen following you as doing thing after thing after thing after thing to earn your favor. And I'm realizing for the first time this morning that actually what it means is to surrender and to rest in the fact that you've already done all of it. I'm just wondering who in here has never actually surrendered in that way before. And here's my invitation to you, if you want to, not gonna force you before you come and grab the communion elements, maybe come to the stairs up here and just kneel down and pray and release that to God. Let the idea of your body getting up and coming forward be a response from you to release your work to God and to accept his rest. You don't have to say anything. You just sit there and pray. And we love to pray over you silently as you do that, as we all come forward and take communion, as we begin to listen to music and pray and sing and, and release things to God. I just pray this would be a time right now for all of us to respond to the fact that God is inviting you into his rest. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray. You're gonna play some music behind me and we're just gonna enter into a time of response. And so however you feel led to respond, this is a time for you. If you wanna get the elements, just come forward, grab the cracker and the juice, go back to your seat, spend some time resting in what Christ has done for you. Let me pray. Father, we're so thankful for your goodness to us. God, and what we reflected on today is that you're good to us, not just by inviting us into a life of rest physically, not just by giving us guidance in how to live as the creator and designer of our bodies, but Lord, because you also have provided rest for our souls. Even though we sinned against you, even though we rebelled against you, you came after us. And in your grace, you did everything that needs to be done for us to become your children. And that to follow you doesn't mean to work, doesn't mean to roll up our sleeves, doesn't mean to pull up ourselves by our bootstraps, doesn't mean any of that. What it means is to rest. God, I pray for anyone in this room right now. I pray, God, if there's anyone here, Lord, who has never fully accepted your rest, that God, right now, you would lead them to do so. Pray against anything that would stop them, God. Their ego, what others might think of them, Whatever, whatever, whatever it is, God, anything that would stop them this morning, I pray that you would clear those obstacles and that, Lord, you would provide rest for your people this morning, for every person in this room. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You're invited to come forward or to respond in any way that you feel led this morning.